You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Uh, welcome everybody to this week's episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. I have a very special guest. I'm super excited because we do talk a lot about direct response on the show. But today we have Lane Gordon, who is going to talk to us a little bit about company valuations, how to take the asset that you've worked so hard to build and try to make it sellable or try to get a further investment or whatever you're looking for to, to grow your business. So Lane, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm uh, I'm very actually excited because I get to pick your brain about a lot of stuff um, that I'm actually wondering for, you know, a lot of my clients' businesses, my business and so forth. So uh, thanks again for joining us. And can you tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, your specialties? Sure. Thank you very much, Maria. I am uh, super happy to be on your program as well. Uh, I have uh, a company called 733 Park, uh, based out of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I have been doing mergers and acquisitions, particularly in the uh, fintech, SaaS, and payment space for over 20 years. Uh, and uh, what we generally do is we work with uh, either buyers who are looking to execute uh, uh, on certain roll-ups or acquisitions, or we work with sellers representing them and bringing their companies to market for sale. And then in between all that, we do valuation work and we do uh, a bunch of other work for our various clients uh, uh, in terms of growth strategy and exit planning. So uh, thank you very much for having me. Oh, awesome. Well, I mean, I do have to clarify also for everybody listening. So Lane is, you know, regardless of what type of business, I mean, uh, Lane works with a lot of SaaS businesses and different types of businesses, but these are all recurring revenue businesses, mm -hmm. uh, businesses that kind of have, you know, uh, a monthly stipend that's kind of done from month one forward. So this is applicable to anybody, whether you're in, let's say, high ticket coaching, um, whether you're selling supplements, whether you have a SaaS business, this is, you know, information that's going to be useful for anybody uh, listening that's in direct response or, or, you know, in a fintech company, like for example, crypto is uh, a very hot topic that we're going to be also discussing. So, uh, I, you know, I'm very excited. To, to ask you all these questions, Lane. So let's get started. I'm going to just kind of go through a couple of, of my burning questions, which funny enough, we, we started talking a, a, before recording this podcast. So I'm just going to go back to some of them. Uh, I mean, this is just a, a general question, just kind of to get heated up, but brick and mortar businesses versus online businesses. I mean, a, a lot has changed obviously in the last two years with COVID, but what are your, what are your thoughts on like your multiples, let's say somebody's debating if they have a brick and mortar to start a, an online and, and vice versa. W what are your thoughts on like multiples or how to make one versus the other sellable? Yeah, th th that's a great question. Uh, you know, effectively going back to your, your prior point, we, uh, we only work with, or we typically work with recurring revenue businesses. So uh, as it pertains to a brick and mortar business versus an online business, uh, there's some interesting dynamics that play out. You know, you might think that immediately because uh, you have a business that's online, there's additional value or, or uh, there's already bumps, uh, spikes in terms of uh, gets a higher valuation versus a brick and mortar. Uh, it's it's not necessarily the case, right? It, it depends on so many factors. So 
in the world of brick and mortar, for example, you could have a business that's highly profitable. You've got many, many customers. Perhaps it's even uh, less uh, it's not totally recurring, but nonetheless, the recurring element is your ability to show that there's been consistent growth year over year in both the uh, top line revenue and typically uh, uh, what uh, we refer to as EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So uh, effectively, and just to clarify for some folks who may not be familiar with EBITDA, uh, you know, it, it, EBITDA is different from the number that you re, report to the tax authorities. So the tax authorities in a privately held business, uh, it's kind of your, your uh, uh, it's kind of a uh, objective of most folks to try and net down their, uh, their profits as much as possible by showing as many expenses as possible. But for purposes of beginning to think about an exit and thinking about evaluation, uh, we refer to EBITDA where effectively uh, you, you, the new owner is not going to have the same debt that you have. So you add back your interest payments, you add back your tax payments, and then the accounting, the amortization, depreciation, and anything that you're taking out of the business. So uh, whether you're taking it out because you're leasing three cars, whether it's uh, your medical plan, whether it's just you're paying yourself W-2, you add that back to get this adjusted EBITDA, as we'll call it. So, so back to the brick and mortar versus e-commerce. The issue really is one of in a in a um, uh, brick and mortar business, you might be able to get a wild uh, a high multiple just by virtue of proving that year over year this thing's growing at fifty percent or more a year, uh, and you have consistent uh, uh, profitability that that that's going up at, at a similar rate year over year. So, uh, you know, an e-commerce business again, you know, it, it's interesting because you one immediately thinks that. Online e-commerce that's going to add some value, and and certainly to a degree it 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 may, but at the same point there's also other uh, new elements that begin to get introduced in terms of potential risk, particularly if you're selling a a, a hard good or product online, or or maybe you're selling some sort of a a, a service virtually online. Uh, there has to be some sort of consistency. And, and a buyer has to see that um, that this is real, that, that uh, there aren't a lot of online complaints, there aren't a lot of uh, chargebacks, et cetera. But, but nonetheless, in, in looking at these two, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of buyers right now are very, very attracted to uh, turnkey businesses that uh, exist in the virtual world. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so I, I mean, my preference obviously is, is something like that, but we deal with both. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think brick and mortar is is a little bit um, just easier to wrap your head around when you're when you're trying to make a valuation. I feel like online businesses, there's so many more nuances in terms of employees and where things happen. So uh, it, it's it's very interesting. We'll see what happens in the next couple of years as people start diversifying. Um, talking about you know recurring businesses and getting stuff, uh, you know, your monthly residual, regardless of whatever business you're in. What are the the three key elements or a couple of key elements that you feel are important? Let's say somebody is, you know, obviously doing well right now and kind of building, but what are things that they should be looking for or, or mm -hmm. doing to make sure that their business one day is sellable? It's, it's an asset that can easily or more easily be sold. Great question. So, so regardless of what the underlying business is, 
you, as you mentioned, you have this monthly residual or income stream. And typically speaking, a buyer is looking at it to understand what is the growth rate of that income stream? Where is that growth coming from? How is that how is the growth portion of that supported? Is it is it strictly by pay-per-click? Is it inbounds? Is it word of mouth? And each of those has different values, right? If you're if you're spending half a million a month on, on pay-per-click uh, to drive your your marketing program, and the minute you shut off the uh, the switch on the half a million, it goes to zero. You know that 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 could be a, a different from a business where eighty percent of the uh, inbounds, uh, uh, new customers, and new revenue are really word of mouth. So, uh, but generally speaking, people will look at the growth. They will also look at the churn or attrition. So, for example, uh, if you uh, sign a client uh, uh, today, um, you know, fast forward a year out. Um, if you then take a look at your book of business and you look at uh, your client base, do you still have that a client? Do you still have that client today? Um, and buyers will evaluate that both from a, um, you know, what is your attrition on a client by client basis on a percentage of your uh, total book of business in terms of just raw number of clients. And they'll also look at it from an attrition standpoint of what is the revenue attrition. If I take those existing clients as of a year ago, compare it with right now, how many have dropped off? And so that that's typically, we, we do something like that. We call it a static pool analysis, where we look at that initial group from 12 months behind. We compare that same group of clients to see if they're still there. And then, of course, you know you can add growth on top of that. But uh, a lot of buyers want to understand, be, be, you know, before adding that growth, what is the actual churn in the people that you're signing? So, okay. so again, um, you know, that's another important metric. And then uh, within all that, really, is um, uh, both the profitability as well as how are these clients bound, right? So, so for example. Um, you know, if you have a business that uh, is showing a very low churn and uh, you're signing up your clients under uh, uh, one year or, or maybe multi-year agreements, um, multi-year starts becoming very interesting to someone. But and again, and, and, and this raises a lot of interesting questions because uh, equally, you could argue that a business that doesn't have contracts with their clients, um, but doesn't seem to really lose anybody year over year. Um, and so, you know, that kind of speaks for itself about the quality of that underlying business. So both are very valuable, but typically a buyer will look at those factors. Okay. I mean, the interesting thing that you mentioned uh, that I kind of want to touch upon is, you know, uh, the churn rate. There's different, like we work at Direct Pinnet, we work with a lot of supplement merchants. There, there would never, it would be very rare to have anybody with, uh, you know, a fantastic churn rate after 12 months. But let's say if you have, uh, you know, they call it like average lifetime value and, and, and all this different stuff that lasts, you know, three, four, five months down the line for a consumer product that's seen as good if you can keep them for three or six months in the cycle. Um, but for example, like a SaaS company where they're selling, you know, some kind of software where it's, it's B2C, uh, that you can expect, you know, longer. And if people are buying your software or leasing your software, whatever they're doing, they're probably staying longer. If not, then there's a problem intrinsically with the software. I'm just wondering, and then 
kind of just to add add more fuel to this 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 question you know and then we have crypto businesses where it it sometimes feels like a little bit of a pump and dump in in you know pardon the expression but you know people yeah. crypto buyers are you know wearing uh rose colored glasses where they're kind of jumping around from service to service let's say if it's a course about investing or um you know exchanges and so forth it's it, it seems like there's less stickiness i guess in that industry so i'm just curious in all these three kind of types of businesses where you have let's say B2B versus B2C with Mm -hmm. is how would you um, I'm trying to find the best way to position this question, but how would a buyer of, for example, a B2C business, like a financial education course or a supplements company or something like that, how would they judge that business versus a SaaS business, which is B2B? Like, would there be higher multiples, uh, based on the fact that they have a lot more clients and they have a lot more revenue, or, I mean, I'll let you kind of touch upon that, but I'm curious, you know, um, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, no, again, it's another great question. So, so if you, if you have a B2C business, um, but again, it's growing year over year, um, uh, it's got a large, uh, uh, follower base, if you may, um, uh, all of the metrics seem good in terms of the, uh, uh, you know, where are the leads coming from, where are new customers coming from, it's word of mouth and things like that. Um, that can be, uh, that can have a, a very good valuation. Um, you know, and again, I just know in the news, we've all heard about a lot of these B2B uh, business plays where it's just pure, uh, pure recurring revenue as opposed to consumer. And, and, and I would argue with you that, um, you know, there are some B2C plays that are getting uh, fantastic valuations as well, but typically they've got a very diverse or, or a large customer base. So uh, they're not just reliant on, on a handful of customers. They've got a very large base um, and it seems to be uh, growing and, and uh, future prospects, let's say, for that are bode well for the future. So that's something that becomes very, very interesting to an investor. On the B2B side of things, um, yeah, no, very, very interesting in terms of, uh, uh, we've all seen a lot of uh, action over there. Um, As it pertains to crypto, you know, I think think there's a few things. So so one, I think, you know, I I think most of us would agree that crypto is um, here to stay. So whether or not you've adopted it personally for your business, uh, whether or not you like it, dislike it, I, I don't think it's going away. I think it's going to continue to grow, and I think it's going to be here to stay in in many different shapes and forms. And so, but when you look at some of these crypto businesses, whereas uh, you know it, it's kind of like still the birth of of, uh, of crypto uh, these past few years and presently, I, I think we're still early days. Yeah, I can see that there would be a higher churn relative to those underlying customers of those businesses to some degree to be expected. But I think as these businesses start to mature, either they'll be valued based on their uh, technologies or potentially valued, they will figure out on their own uh, in the same manner that we all had to figure out new solutions during COVID. They will start to figure out new ways of customer retention to decrease that churn because um, again, being in the cloud and and and, and uh, uh, being B two B and everything else is great. But if your if your churn rate is eighty uh, percent every six months, um, it's it's going to be challenging for that business to build long term value. 
Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we're at, at least like on my end, I see a lot of b- b- crypto businesses, different stuff, you know, whether it be at, at first, you know, a couple of years ago, it was all exchanges. We get a lot of requests for, for people looking for payment processing for, for exchange, crypto exchanges. But now there's a whole slew of kind of, you know, alternative, alternative businesses, different businesses for, uh, for crypto, whether it be crypto investing courses, um, you know, ICOs or ICOs, whatever you want to call them, all this different mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but the interesting thing is that they 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 rise quickly and then they fall quickly. And I find that there that that kind of meteoric, um, you know, is there a way uh, that somebody can see that? Or I guess the better question is at what point. Is it a good time to think about selling because maybe the asset is going down? Maybe it's time to move on to different projects, not not necessarily to get some like an investor to to make Mm. a bad investment, but Mm. maybe you've kind of just outgrown that or you're not able to grow the business any longer. Um, It just feels for crypto, the cycle is a lot shorter. So if you you have a crypto, you know, based business or whatever, when is a good time to say this is, you know, a time to exit or to think about exiting or, um, you know, to to get an additional investment in order to to grow the business? Yeah, those are, those are all great questions. Um, You know, I, I think that, uh, in any of those businesses, the the owner has to look at it, and uh, they're going to make a judgment call based on what do they what do they foresee as the long term trend, right? Um, do they see further adoption? Do they see their role, uh, their business in that scheme of things as uh, continuing to grow and increase its customer base, or do they see it as being a a situation where whatever they're providing within that, and you mentioned crypto, uh, whatever good or service or, or uh, uh, add-on uh, uh, offering that they have to add value to crypto, is that offering still going to maintain value going forward? Um, or is, is that particular segment going to start to become competitive or even hyper-competitive? So, um, I think they have to think about that. There, there's other decisions which are more general, which come into uh, uh, business owners' minds. Uh, uh, for instance, you mentioned you have a lot of folks who do uh, uh, coaching and things like that. Yeah. I, I think I think that y- you have to ask yourself a lot of questions. You know, there, there's some people. There's many drivers for 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 why someone decides they want to exit. Um, uh, getting older, uh, uh, change in uh, uh, marital status, change in assets. Um, They decided, I mean, we have people all the time with with, uh, very successful, highly profitable businesses that say, you know what, I've been doing this for a while and I want to get into software. I want to do something else completely different from their core business. And they just say, you know what, I, I, I can't focus on both. Um, I want to monetize this. I, I think it's time. And honestly, that's a great time to sell a business. Um, okay. Why? Well, you know, why is that a great time? Because if it's an ongoing concern that's growing, it's going to be attractive to other people. When when you make a decision that oh, I want to sell the business because it's been going down the past six months, twelve months, two years, five years, um, that starts becoming very challenging to sell that business because. Uh, you know, buyers uh, before they write that check, they're they're going to do their diligence, or they're going to see it immediately. And 
it's going to become far less attractive. So generally speaking, something that's on the upswing, uh, if you have any uncertainty about what does the future look like three to five years from now, but but you got a beautiful hockey stick uh, uh, upswing right now, yeah. that's a great time to think about doing a transaction. Which I think, I mean, this is just personal opinion, but if you have a highly profitable crypto business, we don't know where legislation is going. We don't know where a lot of things, you know, the U.S. government or the federal or, or even any state government can can just come up with a legislation and just obliterate a lot of businesses. So I'm sure obviously that has to be priced into the business, but um, you know, there, there are some people who are willing to go for that ride and then other people who are probably, you know, less prepared to go for that ride. So um, you know, to me, that's, that's, you know, for, for crypto businesses and, and, you know, businesses that are maybe regulation wise can be kind of killed um, that that could be, you know, if you're on an upswing and, you know, things are happening very quickly in the space, it's probably a decent time to think about, uh, you know, potential exit or getting evaluation or, or something like that. I'm just curious. This is, this is because we're called uncensored and we're unscripted. I'm curious. I'm going to throw, throw a question to you that, you know, you can answer if you'd like, or, or give, give us a, a general opinion. But if you're, if you have like a CBD business, a crypto business or a supplements business, I, I don't want to categorize them all the same. There's, you know, there's nuances to each business that are specific, but what kind of, you know, uh, multiples or what can you try to achieve? You know, there's, each kind of business segment, usually, you know, depending on, um, you know, revenue and a bit done and so forth has a general multiple. Do you have a general multiple for these businesses where, you know, regulation can obliterate the business, but for now it's, it's all good. And the regulation might help it. You know what I mean? Um, what are you seeing in terms of multiples in these types of businesses? It, it, it's, it's all over the board. Um, you know, a lot of it is structured in the form of earnouts. Uh, okay. where there's some backend component that uh, seller is kind of holding, whether it be paper or they're, they're committing to some sort of pledge of writing future accounts at the very least to offset against any attrition um, or churn that may occur with their existing accounts. Um, but it's, you know, it's very, very interesting because I'm dealing with a few folks right now with this very issue who who are in some of those uh, 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 higher risk areas, if you may. And so uh, the issue really becomes one of uh, maybe more soul searching than, than uh, a typical business because the, the, the owner, the seller really has to think long and hard about, you know, hey, I'm making $3 million a year right now. Um, great lifestyle, life is good. Um, do I think this is going to exist in 12 months, 24 months, 36 months? Um, if you don't, okay, so for example, let's say you don't think it's going to exist in a year. Uh, and you, you, there's a buyer that's going to pay you two years worth. Um, you know, just to give a simplistic example, then to me, there's a fairly easy calculation there for, for seller, right? Um, I don't think it's going to exist. Plus, I'm not going to have to work for the next 24 months at the very least to get my my first years. Plus, I get a bonus year on that. Maybe it is a good time to sell. It, it, it's very difficult. And it's also difficult for um, buyers to place those bets and prepay everything up front. So 
just to contrast it to, for example, and this is where, you know, uh, uh, some of those other technology-based businesses are, are getting solid multiples. If I have an accounting system, let's say that's online, like a QuickBooks or something, and I lock in, you know, 30,000 customers, right? Once they start entering and doing their bookkeeping online with my accounting system, it's probably like changing bank accounts. It probably doesn't happen that often because it just, it's too painful. Yes. Um, and so it's, it's, that's why we're seeing some of these really crazy valuations in terms of just strictly a multiple on annual recurring revenue in those industries versus something like cannabis or something like um, crypto where the business may be highly profitable, but because we're still kind of in its infancy, it's, it's difficult for some to value it. That isn't to say that in its infancy, just like we saw with uh, uh, around 2000, uh, uh, you know, the turn of the millennia when, when the internet was starting to come about, uh, you know, we, we, we all heard of these strange business names and things that we weren't quite sure. And some very smart entities and, and businesses placed bets on those things. So, and, and those bets, uh, uh, a lot of them worked out very, very, very well. So uh, it, it, it really kind of depends, you know, for sure in these different verticals, there are people who always want to consolidate verticals. There are people that are committed, that that uh, believe in crypto, that believe, you know, in, in um, uh, you know, coaching and, and, and other things that they have a vision. And so therefore, um, they're willing to pay up on their vision that this is here to stay for the next 20 years or whatever it is. So okay. it, it it's a mix. What I mean, just talking about, you know, obviously it's hard to, to give evaluation for a specific, but if anybody listening is like, you know, what is my business worth? Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously speaking with somebody like you is a good idea, but, you know, there's different levels of people who have different sizes of business in general. You know, there's sites like Flippa and like these types of kind of marketplaces. Where do you think somebody can kind of just get an idea for their specific business? Let's say they have a CBD business or like a crypto course or a crypto exchange or something like that. Where where can they get a general idea of what their business is worth? That, 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 that's a great question. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to be a comedian. Uh, it, it really is a great question. The, the issue is going to be, well, maybe one of the fundamental issues, and, and this is how they should approach it is, is somebody going to look at it as a real business? Okay. And what I mean by that is um, if they have three customers, right? Is that a business that somebody's buying? If they're a one-person show, um, is that a business? But I'll caveat that with they might be a one-person show with an amazing website that everything's automated and all that. Well, that is a business. Yeah. But if they're a one-person show doing all the support and sales and work or something like that, that becomes different. That that that's more like they're they're an agent and and maybe there's something for that. So and, and then the other questions are, you know, how long have they been around? You know, maybe they've been doing this for six months. They've got some sort of crypto wallet. They've got some sort of crypto management company um, and it's growing by leaps and bounds, but they haven't even finished up the first year. Again, if it's growing by leaps and bounds, it still may have some value uh, uh, early on in the game. Um, but it just becomes very, very difficult. So you can see, you know, somebody that does this for a living like myself, it, it's difficult for me to explain. So you can imagine that um, going online and just putting out your basic statistics somewhere to somebody, 
um, it's going to be challenging to get something that's actually meaningful back. I, I, you know, okay. another another easy way maybe to do it is to take a look at how much money are you making this year with the business that you own. Um, and and again, maybe again, maybe you look at it and you say to yourself, well, uh, roughly. Maybe it's worth at least three times what you're making, depending on your size of your business. But, yeah. but again, that, that's, that's not a rule of thumb. There almost are no rule of thumbs, particularly with these types of cutting edge businesses. Some of them are valued if they have a large number of clients. So, you know, you have 10,000 clients. Well, a buyer looks at that and says, wow, this is very diversified. I've, I've got my risk spread out over 10,000. If I lose any one account, hopefully, uh, you know, the top 10% of accounts uh, uh, don't account for, you know, 80% of the volume, let's say, of that particular business. Yeah. You know, hopefully the top 10% just account for 10%. So in that case, it's very spread out. The risk profile is much more spread out. And that gives a buyer more security that even if I lose some accounts due to natural attrition, uh, the value of the business isn't going to tank tomorrow. So yeah. these are all factors. That's why it, it, it's kind of complicated. Each one has to almost be looked at on its own merit, how long has it been around? What are the projections? Um, how is somebody else, how is it gonna be transferred to the next buyer? Or is there a knowledge transfer? Can you just hand somebody the keys in the case of somebody that has an online website and everything is automated, it's wonderful. You Maybe you literally can change, uh, turn the keys over to somebody else. That becomes very valuable to a buyer. Okay. So it seems like what you're saying to kind of summarize that getting an online kind of valuation tool is very difficult or, or nearly kind of useless when it comes to a high risk business or a business with a lot of nuances, like the businesses we've been talking about. So I guess the best thing or the best advice I would say to people listening is to get a professional opinion and maybe pay for it and get somebody who's actually going to look through the business. Um, and just the exercise of it, I think is just interesting as well. Cause a lot of times, um, you know, I get asked questions about my business and so forth. And it's like, I actually don't know, you know what I mean? Like what is exactly the churn rate or what is exactly this? What is exactly that? You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's just a good exercise to do, if you, especially if you've been operating for a little while where your business is a little bit more tenured. Um, and it's good to look at these numbers and, and know what you're doing and, and kind of get yourself some better metrics. So you can, you know, uh, once you know, it's easier to change what you need to change to get to, to be sellable. So I think it's, it's just an interesting exercise, regardless of whether you're ready or not to sell. And, um, I'm, I'm curious about like another segment of risk. You know, we have a lot of merchants that are coaches, like I was telling you where they have high ticket, you know, so, you know, for example, we have CBD businesses that, you know, obviously the average ticket is hundred bucks, 200 bucks, that kind of stuff. But then you have the multiple buyers, like you were saying, you have 10,000 people that might have a monthly subscription to this product or something like that. But then there's other businesses where, you know, you have, you know, a hundred customers that are generating, you know, 25 to $50,000 each because they're paying for high-end coaching or um, something that's a little bit uh, more specific. What are, you know, what are the implications of somebody who has that, you know, because I'm curious, first of all, two-part question, curious for the small pool of clients with high tickets versus large pool of clients, small tickets, is one more valuable than the other? And secondly, how would you position a business that has large revenues, but a small number of customers? Great, uh, great question. So 
you know, my, my first comment would be the group that has the smaller ticket, larger number probably is more valuable to a buyer. That's not to say that the first type isn't more profitable to the current owner, uh, but to a buyer, particularly when they're going to write a multi-million dollar check and they want to spread that risk out, uh, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, they get to spread it over 10,000 accounts, for example, versus, you know, 25 that may be providing that same income. But if two or three or four leave, particularly if maybe they liked the former owner, uh, which is always a risk in selling one of these businesses, um, that that causes them uh, some degree of uh, trepidation and concern, and that will be reflected in the price. So to answer the second part of your question, what does somebody do that has a coaching or a uh, CBD or crypto or other business that has a small amount of clients that is throwing off a nice income? How do they increase that value? Well, uh, a, a few different things. So, so one obviously is uh, uh, try to add on as many clients as you can, as you as you can reasonably support. Um, but the other thing would would probably be in in trying to plan for an exit. Let's say you've built a nice lifestyle business. You're you're I don't know, you're making half a million, three million, five million dollars a year with minimal overhead, minimal employees, but also minimal number of actual clients. Uh, you know, I, I think part of an exit might be to think about who are some of your competitors that are maybe your size that uh, maybe you, you have some sort of working relationship with, maybe you're somewhat friendly with, um, and it may be difficult for these business owners to approach their competitors directly. But nonetheless, if there are any relationships, et cetera, um, what a wonderful thing if, you know, uh, one can... Um, Get ahead, get get ahead of that, and somehow reach out. And and again, this is a hypothetical, but uh, saying to those folks, you know, hey, um, at some point we're all going to exit this business. What a nice thing if if and when that time comes, we all kind of uh, keep a hold of each other's phone numbers, so that that way, instead of somebody evaluating my business, I have twenty five accounts that are throwing off uh, two million dollars a year in revenue. Um, collectively, maybe we have 300 accounts that are throwing off even more revenue, but that larger number of accounts immediately signals less risk to, to the buyer. So yeah. um, there's different ways to structure that. Another way, though, is you know sometimes, uh, again, in some of these businesses where contractually the customers have a difficult time or they have to pay some sort of a breakup fee or something to leave the contract and they have a, a five-year or three-year agreement that's signed, um, even though there are a small number of accounts, that still may have some value to a potential buyer who says, wow, um, you know, these people really aren't going anywhere because it's kind of a big penalty for this and the services are working fine and all that, um, you know, but that's, that's not every business. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I say to you, you know, and the other thing is, is that potentially um, looking to larger players within your vertical. So maybe there's a real large player, but again, it's, it's, it's always challenging for a business owner to approach a large player in their own space without signaling potential distress to that large player that immediately says, oh, gee, you know, something's going on with this uh, uh, smaller entity. So, um, you know, I, it's, it, it's challenging when you have the smaller number. I would almost say 
uh, you know, if there is somebody in your particular vertical that specializes, uh, 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 like myself, that's an intermediary, that's a, a broker, an M and A advisor, something like that, that can take a look at your offering, help to evaluate it, and then anonymously approach some of your competitors or anonymously approach the big fish in that marketplace. Because then if it's done properly, you're not exposed. Uh, uh, the other group doesn't know or groups don't know exactly who it is until uh, a third party is really able to ferret out if their interest is genuine in, in uh, making an acquisition now or in the future or in grouping together like an agglomerate that then gets bought up in one uh, one fell swoop. Uh, hopefully that helps. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely um, having, you know, an intermediary, I think not only provides you a little bit of a veil, you don't want to necessarily call somebody, but also key elements, um, you know, just to kind of wrap it up. I'm, um, any final thoughts, Lane, or anything that you want to tell our audience? Yeah, no, I, I think we covered a lot of ground, Maria, and uh, I, I thank you very much for having me on your program. And uh, no, I, I think, um, again, I, 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 I agree with you. I think that uh, market downturns uh, provide huge opportunities to, uh, to innovate and for entrance into uh, the marketplace for sure. Um, but as it pertains to um, somebody that owns something today, um, you know, uh, what we saw with the, with the uh, last big downturn, uh, uh, if you want to argue in 08, um, was that it took people that own businesses uh, a number of years to get back to the valuation that they had uh, on the eve of that crash. And so the, the, the big question I think a lot of people have to ask themselves is, uh, you know, if you're on the fence, you're, you're contemplating a move, um, if something were to happen in two months, three months, the market radically change, um, you might be working another three, four years to get back to the same valuation you're at today. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, I saw it happen before. It was uh, very painful for those people and, uh, and we were representing them. So it was painful for us too. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you have to think about that because, um, and, and that's why people pay multiples on businesses because they're buying future years based on the bets that they're placing. And so, uh, and sellers have to think about, you know, hey, may, maybe it is worth getting, you know, X multiple because, you know, I'm just not sure what the next couple of years are going to be. And uh, so, uh, food for thought. And, uh, uh, you know, I hope uh, if your listeners have any questions, they're welcome to uh, reach out, send me an email, happy to, to respond back. And uh, I really appreciate the time. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lane. So uh, Lane's contact information um, is going to be in the show notes. So anybody who's interested, you know, you can go directly there or come through me. And as usual, please like, subscribe and share this episode because this was a treasure trove of content. So thank you so much, Lane. Um, and this was a very selfish uh, interview because now I got all this free information because I was really curious about all this stuff. So I, I thank you again for all your time and have yourself a great day. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once. 